In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. This is Modern Apocrypha, and we have a guest with us today. Welcome, Ryan. So, hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. So, tell us a little about yourself. I know you're. I know you're currently in Florida, something like that. Yes, it's, it's not uh, Florida weather down here this winter. Um, it's a little cooler than usual, but yeah, it's it's warmer than where you guys are at. I'm actually from down south. I, I spent a great deal of time down in uh, Houston, Texas. Okay. So I'm used to the, the heat and the cold up here. Is quite cold <laughs> yeah and i'm in wyoming which i mean is <laughs> yeah, cold yeah, we're having, a, we're having there. a summer here at 54 degrees so tell us a little about yourself man what who's ryan sure uh i'm a bit of a i guess you call me a digital nomad i, I kind of float around here and there um I've, I've been around doing tech stuff i've done uh web development and it for over 20 years now Started actually when I was really young, um, and then church-wise, kind of grew up in the church, different denominations, bounced around, uh, backslid for a while, and then kind of had a kind of cool encounter a couple years ago, and and totally just shifted the dynamic of my walk, um, and and just sort of kind of made God real, you know, yeah. where before it was just this idea, and then then He became real. So, um, yeah, that's that's about me. Gotcha. I know. If- you know, when it comes to it, Greg and I have both had sort of similar experiences, a little bit, a little bit of a different focus for each of us, but definitely a similar thing where we, he grew up, what would you say, Greg? Oh, I grew up in a uh, wild, chaotic exploration of religion where my parents went through every single denomination, including flat Judaism, um, in the Judeo-Christian faith spectrum. And, and I, I grew up, totally non-denominational, but before a couple of years ago, I could count on two hands the number of times I'd been in church outside of weddings and funerals. And it's because my parents, uh, well, my dad especially has real serious issues with religion, with the way things are done in America and in the West and how it's, it's a religion rather than following Christ, which I know you, you totally agree with yeah that's where i think a lot of people get tripped up and i mean that's even kind of what tripped up me and why i left the church for a number of years was just sort of like this uh, the uh, hypocrisy like it's do this don't do that and you see a lot of people telling you what to do and then doing the opposite so um you know I, I let myself get jaded a little bit and it became you know like why am i listening to these people who are hypocrites yeah it's easy to do that especially Especially because, well, like I say, the church seems to have lost focus. And along those lines, I told you we wanted to talk about what's on your heart. This this podcast is sort of about 
the truth that's kind of outside the Overton window. It's the things that people aren't used to talking about or whatever. And in along those lines, most of what you have to say is not really, uh, what would you say? Not really acceptable orthodox. to Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, except it is orthodox in the one sense. It, it is, right? but it isn't. Yes. Yes. So what, what's on your heart, man? What, um, just lately, the big thing has just been, you know, what the Lord's been speaking to me on and, and just the, the topic of conversation on X really has just been around what is, what is obedience? What is, what are we supposed to do? What is walking in relationship? Um, and you know, there's a lot of pushback from people who, who insist that once you're a Christian, you have to go back and follow the law and we're, you know, supposed to follow the 10 commandments. And, and I've seen people, you know, observe the Sabbath, can't eat pork and, and just sort of all over the spectrum. And, and I don't mind from the sake of like, if that's your conviction, by all means, go ahead and, and live how you see fit. But when it crosses that line into uh, where they start telling people that they're not believers or insinuating that they're not believers. If you're not following, you know, uh, the law and it's, it's almost like a, it's a little bit of like the Hebrew root stuff, mm -hmm. which I don't think all of this is it's, it's people trying to get back. And I think that's commendable to try and learn, uh, the, the feasts and the, the meaning and some of the rich history that's there. Um, but I feel like it's like we, we take it and then we, people go way too far. Um, so that's kind of what, if we could, maybe that, that'd be a cool topic to talk about today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm down. Um, sure. I, I know you saying that it isn't even just the law. It's whatever particular set of doctrines or whatever particular thing they're particular denomination or their particular little sect of whatever likes to focus on, right? Where one of the things that I, I keep coming back to is just what is the gospel? We actually we actually talked about that a couple of episodes ago. What is the gospel? Yeah. I have this to say about it. Um, it's a little bit the same and, and attention at the same time. Um, Part of what you're describing is is replacing the dogma and the ritual for the belief and the faith. And that's a problem that you're describing. And part of the problem that we have is we've got this perfect example. This is where you're headed. This is where you're supposed to try to be like. This is the good place. And so we emulate that. We want to try to be like that. And we ignore the middle ground where you're taking steps towards that. Why would you be beating someone across the back with your cane as they're walking the direction you want them to go? So we've lost the middle ground, like this, this traversing from where we are to where he is. We, we are not going to be where he is. So acting like we are and, and chastising and, and uh, putting other people down for not reaching what we also haven't reached seems to be where the religion of old, right, the, the American religion, the uh, keeping up with the Joneses concept in church of all places has really just ruined the relationship with God for us, where we've got to come outside of the system that says the system is the God and say, no, God is more than this. Yeah, and that's... I think what I heard and what you're saying there is just, it's a, it's like a lack of grace. It's a lack of understanding the grace that we've been extended and then extending that same grace to others. Um, and an expectation that, that if you're not at the finish line, you'll never get there. 
Yeah, which is which is interesting because Paul says that in Philippians, you know, where he says, "I've not yet attained, but I look forward to the upward calling." And then he says something immediately immediately after that that I was also found interesting, which he says is, you know, now and the level of faith you've attained, live by that level of faith. And yeah. so there's there's people who are different spots in their walk, and they're, you know, we're trying to tell people they need to live up here, or you know, I I get people who even go the other way, and it's and it's live down. Well, you you can't believe for that. That's yeah. too radical. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's exactly. Just... <laughs> oh, that that yeah. I actually think that might be more common than anything else. Telling people that telling people that they have to live at a certain level where they're fall where you if you don't follow these rules if you aren't if you aren't at this level of faith then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, and and I've maybe it was because of how I came back and how I learned to understand it, but like I've come to understand that you can have faith for salvation, you can have faith for, for financial provision, you can have faith for healing, and these are all like different aspects of what you believe yeah and um you know out of that I, I know somebody who can have faith for healing and they're praying for people in the street but they don't have faith that god will provide for them and they're they're living in poverty while praying for people and it's like and i've seen people who are the who are the flip of that who don't believe in healing but you know they they've had god provide for them and live in that and walk in that provision and it's just like we need to wrap our heads around and understand that there's these different like and so I remember the first time when I was going through a financial thing and somebody said, well, well I'll pray for you. And I'm thinking, well, that's not helping the need I have right now. Like I have a tangible need and that's not, and that's not helping. But the, but the testimony and what they shared actually built me up in that faith for the miracle that ended up happening like a month later. Yeah. I'm with you. You know, that's actually something I've been struggling with lately is I, so for my history, I worked for a family business for like eight or 10 years and, um, I ended up leaving for reasons of relationship stuff. I, I needed to make sure that I was preserving relationships. And so I left and I had this opportunity to write this book, but ever since, and that's, that was a year and a half ago. And ever since then we've been living on savings and I have to actually have faith that God will provide that God will take my family where we need to go and help me to do what I need to do to provide when the time is right. And that has been a tremendous struggle for me. So I'm with you, but, but by the same token, you know, that's how you grow. And whether it's the healing thing or the provision thing or any number of other areas where, where a person is at, we have to, we have to grow up into Christ. We have to grow up into being faithful and having faith. Yeah. Yeah. The fullness of him. And, and so I think that's one thing, you know, where I remind myself, we're down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but um, you know, where I remind myself, I like, look at them and I look at, I look at the father and I'm just like, what does he have? Where do I not measure up? What is, what is lacking in my life? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, you know, when there was a need, so provision was, was big on my mind a week or two ago. And I was thinking like everywhere Jesus went, provision was met yeah. because he understood his father owned everything. And so whether it was food and he fed the 5,000 or whether it was when they went to the temple and they needed to pay the temple tax and they pulled a cold coin out of a fish or when he told Peter to cast the net down and, and they caught all those fish, you know, it was just, it was, it was everywhere that they went, everywhere that there was a need, it was met. And 
how that relates then to our lives is I'm sitting there thinking, well, shouldn't we be able to meet needs of others in a similar fashion? And it's like, how do I then set myself up for that where, you know, when somebody has a need, I have the resources available to be able to do that. Like when I'm, if you're out at Walmart, you know, and you see the person there that's sitting there and, and there's been times and seasons I've had that, but it's definitely something I would like to do more. Sure. Um, well, and, you know, when and, you, when you encounter that person just to bless them and, and to speak over them. And, well, and, and having, for me at least having the, the awareness of where the Holy Spirit is leading me so that I'm providing what they actually need instead of what yeah. it looks like they need. Because, yeah. Yeah. you know, if somebody, if somebody were to step out and give me a whole bunch of money a year ago, I might've felt like I got what I needed, but really what I needed was to grow up into this faith that I am now learning. Right. So, yep. You know, maybe it is that people need to be prayed over. Maybe it is that they need that money. We have to follow the spirits leading for that. I have this to say about it. It's slightly well. Partial. Let's start. Let's start with a story. Um, we had gone to a particular camp for uh, the faithful, and I ran across a gentleman that had never been. He got an, a random invite. Um, we met on the sidewalk just kind of outside of the meeting area. And we all met up and dropped off our cars and said our hellos to random people because we all knew that we'd be out for the weekend, you know, just kind of not around people. So lost track of the gentleman, go, uh, I don't know, a couple hours away to the, the, the weekend retreat and, you know, have our wonderful time. About the, I was, uh, halfway through the first day, second day, second day, I grabbed the gentleman back because he didn't have anyone. I relatively didn't have anyone. And I just kind of recognized that he was kind of not connecting, um, with everyone um, positively, right? He had more of a sarcastic feel about him than a accepting feel about him. So I took him outside and I, you know, I had a cigarette because I'm a smoker and you know, he, uh, he is, and that's an interesting way to connect. And through it all, um, I didn't exactly push him into anything, but I accepted him as he was and encouraged him to join us. And he did. And by the end of the weekend, he was accepting and in a huddle with I'm sure a half dozen gentlemen that are far better than me <laughs> praying over him and inviting him into the service. It was what he needed. Even if I'd given him a million dollars, he would have smoked a million dollars. But what I'd given him was a pathway to a better future. And I didn't give it to him. I just showed him where I saw it. My, my kids a couple of weeks ago on... On Sundays, we there is a church we've been attending, but we also do this thing where um, every evening on Sunday evening, we'll sing some songs together as a family. We do some worship together as a family. And one of my kids asked to sing the um, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know the one I'm talking about, Ryan. Yep. I don't know that I've heard the song, but I know what the words right. out you, of and you know the three. Right, yeah. yeah. And then also I would finish that with um, the simple parable of give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day, teach a man to fish. Right. So we're not we're not intended to give people fish, we're intended to teach people how to take care of themselves. Yep. So you're right, we kind of went down a rabbit hole. What what where do you wanna <laughs> Where do you want to go here? We can go. Well, 
I guess it's a little bit political, but it's the state of the world, so it kind of matters. Where do you feel like teaching someone how to fish and that sort of concept flows with where we are as a society and the way that we try to take care of people as opposed to teaching them how to think? <laughs> it's obvious that that's where we're at, I believe. Yeah, you know, discipleship, the thought I had the other night, discipleship is something that has a high cost. And it's something that's very painful to do. It's something that we need. Um, and maybe that kind of plays back into the whole legalism thing where it's easier to tell people they need to do something rather than showing them how to live and showing them what to do. Um, but discipleship is just something like you're investing yourself, you're investing your, your blood, sweat, and tears into another person. Um, and it's, it, it comes at a great cost um, because it's your time and your and your and your resources sometimes in your, you know, everything else, um, you, you've got to, your time is finite and you've got to trade off some of what you want to do if you're going to sit there and disciple somebody else. Um, but I feel like, you know, to your question, Greg, as a society, what do we do? Um, at least here in the U.S., it, it feels like it's very hands off. You know, a lot of people are happy to give money through taxes or through, yeah. through nonprofits and say, well, it's easier for them. They're on the front lines and they know how to spend it. But it's just this very, it's like a heartwarming thing. Like I've given money and now my obligation's done and, and we hope somebody else does it. Um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of the organizations, whether it's government or nonprofits, though, really aren't empowering people. They're, they're meeting needs, short-term needs um, without the long-term. There is some social service stuff that really does try and get people back on their feet. But um, it doesn't seem like a lot of it, you know, right. is, is necessarily good because it is, it's very... It's very hands-on. It's very hard because you've got people who have uh, learned behaviors and traumas and other things that all affect how they live their lives. Yeah. And so it's a very almost individualistic approach you need to take with people. Well, I it, mean, how many times have you encountered a homeless person on the street who, who doesn't want to come off the street? They're happy to live there and they're happy to live that life. Yeah. You know? It, You're exactly right. That's, that is the human condition in a sense, right? It's like our, our God is the God of the individual and he wants us to meet other people where they need to be met. And we can't just shovel that off on some program or somebody else. That's supposed to be our job. That's, that's as Christians, that's what we're to do. We're to meet those needs. We're to, deal with the individual, as you said. Yeah. I'm curious, are you, um, uh, with your digital nomad lifestyle, are, are you um, paired? Do you have kiddos? Um, I am separated, uh, divorced, and my kids are up in Maryland, so it's... Do you find it easier or different or an analogy uh, for the way that you raise and let go of children, the way that you might disciple people? because you're giving your time freely and happily for your children. Yeah. Can you turn that around in your psyche to give willingly and happily to strangers? Yeah, and I think at times I've done it almost almost in the opposite where I've given more to strangers than I have to my kids when they were younger. Um, yeah. It's, you know, more more freely across the board and, and really trying to uh, maintain the proper balance and focus. You know, I, I'm with you on that. My kids are 
well, most of them are still fairly young. My, my oldest is like 14 now, and my youngest is still just over one. And I have to be very intentional about spending time with them and loving them because exactly as you say, it, it it's easy to get to get that totally flipped around and do the opposite. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And also a good point of note that you have loving expectations of your children. You should have loving expectations of everyone. Well, and as brothers, that's what we have to do for each other, right? Brothers and sisters, that's having those, you know, I I need you to measure up better than you did before because I care about you and I love you and I want you to do better, right? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> going back, where was it we were <laughs> going anyway? <laughs> See if we can try and pull this together. Right? Um, yeah. So just, and, and this goes into parenting too, I guess, like a, how, parenting style and how you, how you teach your kids and, and how, how we extend grace um, for mistakes. Yeah. And so I am, maybe I'll share a little bit about, um, Share too many details, but a place I worked a few years ago, and and um, just had some relations with people at work and and different uh, churches and and styles that, that they grew up in, and and so um, being exposed to that, I saw the uh, results of how being raised in certain manners and certain religious dogmas affected kids and, and ruined relationships or, or shifted relationships away or, or fractured, um, coming out of the, the do, do, do. And, and, uh, you know, just a very, it comes out of like the old Testament view of God, where it's like, do this, not that, or you're going to get punished. And, um, so you, you have people from homes that are very discipline heavy, um, that, is something I've tried to not pass on to my own children. Um, I did perhaps a little when they were younger before I had come back to Christ. Um, but they were way little at the time. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've seen how God's grace has sort of covered that and, yeah. and not, not really kept anything, you know, any baggage, um, or any lingering effects on my kids. I think they were so young at the time. Um, but you know, and then the, and the, the, super grace, hyper grace stuff where you have people who don't, who don't discipline their kids at all. And it's, you know, what's the middle ground. Um, and I like a lot, there's, there's some good stuff. And dare I say this for being called a heretic, but there's some good stuff coming out of Bethel as far as the parenting stuff, um, with Danny Silk and, and Chris Valentin. Okay. And, um, Danny Silk wrote a really good book on culture of honor. I love, I love the book and it talks about how they discipline people. Uh, adults in BSSM mm -hmm. um, and the approaches that they, they brought them through when, when you had, um, you know, young adults, not young adults, like, well, I don't know what, what you, whatever you call people who are probably in their early twenties, yeah. um, young adults, um, you know, having, having premarital sex and, and yeah. bringing them through a, a process of restoration or redemption of that while, 
being given grace to sort of clean up the mess and fix relationships of, you know, that they damage in the process of that with their classmates and having to come clean. And so I appreciate what, what they've done and how there's, there's room for mistakes. There's room for, but it's not graceless. It's not, you know, there's no consequences, but it is to a point like clean up your own mess. And it's not this like super hyper punish. And so I've, I've adopted a little bit of that really in my own, in my own life, in my own relationships with how I relate to other people. Yeah. Um, and so we had a clash then where I was working between me and my boss um, because he wanted to, you know, punish, punish, punish the, my staff for, for not following along. Um, and I was trying to like, these are, these are adults or grown men, like give them the, the space to like, I want them to clean up their mess. Cause for me, that's when I learn. Yeah. Like I don't learn when I get punished into to doing the right thing. Like that's, that's where bitterness and resentment grows. And so it's like, okay, we're going to talk about the repercussions of what, what happened with, what the effect of this was. And we're going to talk about how not to do that again. Um, and I'm still going to give you grace to fail and do it again um, to an extent, but how are, how are you going to take responsibility for this thing? Right. And because in that you're, you're empowering people. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I would say, from my experience, it comes back to where people's hearts are at, right? If, if people's hearts are in a place where they want to improve and they want to move forward and they want to, to do better, then grace is the only, it's the only appropriate way to handle things most of the time, where if somebody is willfully going off and doing things that are hurting other people that are not good, that are a problem, whatever it is, then in some sense, all you can do is sort of apply the discipline. And that's kind of what God does to us, right? It's like the law is there for those who are not turned to Christ. Once you turn to Christ and where there is grace, there is no awareness of sin, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and in Galatians, you know, Paul talks about how the law is a tutor. And so it's like this guiding thing. And, and so I give people grace there too. Like, Hey, look, if you want to, if you want to use the law, even though you're saying you're in Christ, like, and, and I've seen people, like I've seen people who for a short period of time needed that, like, cause in, in a immature Christian state, like it really helped, it helped them with addictions or it helped them with other things. Um, so I, that's why I said I don't come down super hard on people for that. And, you know, it's almost yeah. like a reverse legalistic thing. Yeah. Um, but also don't let them fall into that trap because he also says, like, if you want to keep one of the laws, you got to keep all of them. That's right. And you, you're that's what you're that's what you're yoked to now and what you're what you're bound to uphold. And, um, you know, he says, cast out the bond woman. Well, and, 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 and that's what the law brings death. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so much against it. Um, you know, and then, then people go, well, what law do you want? To, what laws that are we talking about the, you know, the Levitical laws and, or are we talking about the, the 10 commandments, you know, and I think I'm going to go someplace else with this in a minute, but I think mm -hmm. for right now, um, you know, Jesus gave the commandment, two commandments. It was love, love your father or love the father and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. And, um, in that, I think when you when you do that properly, you're automatically upholding the Ten Commandments. That's you're, right. You're not going to go murder somebody. You're not going to commit adultery. 
Um, if you understand what love is and you can go look at first Corinthians 13, where, where it, Paul outlines it, um, and look at the different aspects of that and then become that you don't have to worry about following the 10 commandments. You're, you're doing it by nature. Right. It's, it's a thing of Jesus came to f not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And when we follow him out of love, we get closer to doing that than we could through any other circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with this you. is abide in me because you can't do anything on your own. That's so right. You're... I feel like there's a, um, a floating question here about what do you feel like happens if you present the law, but then ignore it. If it's, if it's there, everyone can see it. And therefore everyone can see that it's being ignored. That seems relevant. So stating laws that are of irrelevance, as people do, not as God does, seems to be a problem with putting too much junk in the mix. Well, the idea that you can't jaywalk, you can't walk across the street without breaking the law technically. Well, and, and I guess that's the whole thing of where there is grace, there's no awareness of sin. Where we have grace, we don't need to be always going back to, have we screwed up? Have we screwed up? Have we screwed up? Well, of course we've screwed up. Jesus says, if, if you say there is no sin, then the truth is not in you. If you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. But what he came for was to forgive that, to make, you know, to make it so that we don't have to worry about that. If our heart is for him, we're free to just follow, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even in, on that, on that point, even in Hebrews 10, mm -hmm. you know, it talks about, um, the, the yearly sacrifices kept them conscious of their sins. The fact that there was a, a yearly sacrifice kept them very mindful of their sin nature. It said, you know, it said, or wouldn't their consciences have been cleared? But they, but there wasn't because there was a reminder in there year after year. But now we have one sacrifice for all that could take away sin. So when you read that, shouldn't in theory, like we, we have a clean conscience. So we're not focused on, on sin and sinning. And, and that's the message I see even in Romans six through eight. And, and Paul in the middle of that contrasts the law in Romans seven. And, and he talks about six and being free from one to the other slaves of slaves of sin the slaves of righteousness and then he says if you're under the law and he talks about all this thing and it's i i don't know because it's in his mind he knows what he's not supposed to do because of the of the law and then he goes into romans 8 you know and there's no condemnation now for those who are in christ that one i needed that so badly a couple of years ago it was like every time i would open the bible all i would see was how i was falling short and so internalizing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus was pretty critical for me. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's what the law does. And, and the devil uses that because in that knowledge, you know, you're doing it. And I've seen people perpetuate sin cycles because of that. They can't break addictions. They can't do it because they know it's wrong. And so you get stuck in this rut of there's no condom you know now there's no condemnation that gets you out of it because this, the guilt and the shame and all that stuff is gone when you're when you're not able to boldly come to the throne because of the shame and the guilt and, and there's i see in some of the people who um i've used this term before but in in some of the people with the law it's and and even 
even like the the uh, fundamental like scripture is all we have. God doesn't speak crowd. It's there's this weird thing where people seem to want to like restitch the temple curtain, put this wall back up between us and God when it's been abolished. It's been down. Um, yep. And and it's like they're they're and that's what you see all throughout the Old Testament though. Like yeah. Moses went up on the mountain. They sent Moses up on the mountain. We don't want to talk to him. Um, you know, and then while he was up there for 40 days, they're down melting all their gold and building a, building a golden calf. And, um, you know, and even then, though, if you read um, in Second Corinthians, Paul talks about how the Ten Commandments was a ministry of condemnation and death. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, even that still in that. And so – what I keep going back to is back in the garden and in the garden, there's two trees. And so you have the tree of life and you have the tree of knowledge and they didn't, Adam didn't have any shame about being naked until he ate from the tree of knowledge. Right. And then suddenly it's like his eyes were open. And I feel like that's where a lot of people get stuck. They're still eating from the tree of knowledge. Do you? And it's this, this knowing the things are wrong and it's, it's your flesh and it's an enmity with the spirit. You know what my uncle likes to say about a lot of churches? He says they're gorging on the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, yes. they're just focusing all the time on where are we sinning? Where are we screwing up instead of focusing on following Christ? And sometimes not where are we sitting, but where are other people sitting and, oh, and yeah. pointing the finger at pointing the finger at other people. But well, um, <laughs> and then we get into the now, therefore, brethren, let us no longer judge one another, but instead yeah. resolve never to put a stumbling block in front of a brother. Right? Where yeah. our responsibility is actually to help people up, to restore them, and to help them to see that our that our focus needs to be on Christ instead of on all this extraneous stuff. Yeah. And so to get back into then, so a lot of a question I get asked a lot is, you know, when people say, what law, what law are we following? And I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, it's not an obedience to the law. It's not, it's an obedience to the, to the spoken word of God. Like the written word is there and it points us and gives us a sort of a foundation of, and it, and it points us to Jesus. Um, but really, Jesus points us back to the Father, and a lot of people get hung up there. So it's like, make sure you're not getting stuck at the at the signpost that's pointing you where to go. But we, we get hung up in these spots. And the destination, though, is, is living relationship. And so the Amen. commandments, the commandments that he's talking about are not written ordinances, but what the Spirit is telling you to do. You know, and right. Paul writes in, in Romans 8, he says, if you walk by, according to the Spirit, by the Spirit, uh, you will not... That's Galatians. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a slightly different variation of that in Romans 8. Right. Um, but it's it's this it's living relationship. And again, where people want to put that wall of of uh, the temple curtain back up in between you and God is is that separation of relationship. And I think that's, you know, what what the cross paid for was to get us to to take away. It's just, I like what what Paul wrote in Colossians. He says uh, you were once alienated by wicked uh how does he say? He says you you were once alienated by the wicked works, and but he said you were you it was in your mind. Your mind was contrary to God, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, wait a sec. So we God was never at enmity with us. We were at enmity. We thought we were at enmity, like it was in our heads. And I remember that was like a total like mind blow thing when I read it. And it sunk in the first time. Yeah. Um, and it's but then you realize like He is for us this whole time. 
Yeah. And he's not like, there's not this opposition. Like ever since the beginning, he's had this plan to reconcile us back. Right. And so well, that, and he went to such lengths to do it. How can we not accept that? Right. How can we not live in that? From everything that happened through the Old Testament pointing to, I mean, even getting into the Hebrew letters, like in Genesis 1-1, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen that, you know, where it basically says, if you look at the Hebrew letters, it, it spells out um, the plan of salvation. I, I have actually, I recently encountered somebody who was going through that and and sort of explaining it. Hey, we usually take a break right about here. Let's take a short break and come back in a couple of minutes. So. We'll be back in a minute, folks. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Bright Star, the forthcoming book by me, Jared Michaud, due to hit shelves April of 2024. For pre-release copies, head over to e6universe.com. Use the promo code ISRAEL for 10% off with your order. Modern Apocrypha is made possible by North Arrow Coffee. It's the pro-life coffee company where 15% of every sale goes to a pro-life cause. And it's so good that even us non-coffee drinkers love the company. Everybody I know who I have... uh, given North Arrow Coffee to who is a coffee drinker, loves it. So the quality of the product is wonderful, and they're not a company that hates you. So if you're interested, head over to northarrowcoffee.co and use the promo code E6 for 10% off with your order. back welcome back everyone so ryan we were talking about relationship and obeying where the spirit leads us as juxtaposed with trying to trying to build a framework from the written words that sort of gives us a a place to go kind of kind of on our own strength really when you look at it i think yeah. Yep. Um, and that's actually a good way to frame it. I hadn't thought of that, but very much, um, you know, when you're trying to follow the, the written word, it very much is a framework to do it in your own strength. And there is no, there is no, when I say there is no spirit in it, but there's, there's like, it almost takes away that need to depend on God. Um, you know, there was, and so when I was in college, there was a guy, I, I ran into him and he said that he has never heard from the Lord and it has not negatively affected his walk with God. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, like it, it almost physically hurt me because it's, it's a form of godliness without the substance or without the power. Right. Yes. And I, I have heard similar things too. And it's, I think a lot of it almost gets back into like the the devil will play off of our fears. And so he'll take a scripture and twist a scripture. And now you've got people who are, Oh, well he can, he can manifest as an angel of light or, you know, all of a sudden now we're afraid to hear God speak because we might be deceived. And I'm thinking like, 
but if you have the spirit of God in you, like how, how exactly are you deceived? Like we should like, he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. So what, right. what are you afraid of? Um, but again, that goes back to the old Testament. Like you have, when they spied out Cana and you have Joshua and Caleb who went up and said, you know, we're good. God's with us. And the other 10 spies said, eh, they're like giants and we're too afraid to go in. And then they didn't go in. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. Um, and you know, fear is, fear is a big thing. And I, and I feel like, you know, the enemy plays off of that, but it's, we need to get past that. Like, and this is where sort of this, the love of God, you know, casts out fear. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we have that really blocks this is this idea that God doesn't speak to us. Yeah. Like when, when you, I had somebody tell me this week, um, you know, well, you've got to test everything against scripture. And I'm thinking, yeah, in, in theory, that sounds good. But what did Abraham test against scripture when God told him to go up the mountain and, and sacrifice Isaac? He didn't say, well, hold on, let me go back in, in Genesis and see, you know, in Genesis, none of it had been written then. Like, right, right. <laughs> like he had no reference point. He just, he had, but he had a relationship where he, he knew God was real. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, even playing off my own testimony, um, when I was younger, I, I didn't, I had this knowledge of God. Um, but I didn't have a relationship. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have this moment that God was real. And that the moment everything shifted was when I had that encounter and I knew God was real. And at that point, it's like, there's no going back at that point. Yeah. And I think as a church, like that's what we need to give people this encounter. There's so many people walking around with this, this head knowledge of God who were reading the Bible as a, as an instruction manual on how to live life yet are almost functional atheists. Like they don't, they don't have the relationship they don't have. And, and so you're, you're operating out of your flesh. And what does scripture say if you're operating out of your flesh? Like not a lot of good things. So. Right. Well, that's, that's death. <laughs> death comes in there. We know that, right? So no. And, and I don't know, you know, the whole time you've been talking here, I, my brain keeps lighting up going, yeah. And yeah, this, and yeah, that. And, and I think the one that, that got me was you were talking about fear. There are a lot of the, a lot of the people I went to college with, I went to Patrick Henry college in Virginia, which is kind of a, a small Christian college. I went there for a, a couple of semesters before I ended up quitting because of met my wife. But some of the people I met there seem to be fixated on this false teaching thing where they're afraid of getting caught in false teachings. And, and it's almost like, Oh, we have to protect ourselves from anybody who has a wrong opinion, unless they are, have a perfect opinion. We can't listen to them at all. And what we see in scripture, especially in the new Testament is sort of almost the opposite of that. It's like Paul says, test the spirits and, and, you know, he, he, um, was at the Bereans. He, he commended them for going through and testing even what he said. And, mm -hmm. and so that comes back to what you were saying about scripture. We have a tool that Abraham didn't have, which can turn into a crutch. It can turn into a means of trying to do it of our own strength instead of simply being another tool in the hands of the potter to, work us into what we're supposed to be. Absolutely. 
And, and so you go back to that as a reference point. We go back to that. Somebody used the term uh, plumb line. Mm -hmm. You know, this is our, this is our plumb line of truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if, if you think about the Bible mm -hmm. and, and its history, we don't have what we have now has only existed for a few hundred years tops. Yeah. Like when the Gutenberg printing press was invented, we started getting Bibles out into the hands of people. And it was like a single translation. You had Tyndale and then you had King James, yep. the authorized version. And then all this new stuff, ESV, NIV, you know, all, almost all of them have been in the last hundred years. Well, and the Dead Sea uh, and Scrolls good, were like a hundred and some years ago before we even got some of the. Yeah. And, and so even the, the, Oldest translations, modern translations we have are, are from like the early 1900s. Right. Most of them, though, are really from the 80s. So you're talking about translations that are less than 40 years old. Right. And we've got this plethora of translations now in, in every different – well, this tries to be – you know, um, this tries to be held to the ideas and this has to be word for word. And, and so you've got you know different translation styles in that and yet none of it is a replacement for – a relationship with a living God. It's a, it's a tool. And, you know, I believe the spirit can, can speak through whatever translation you, whether it's NIV or, or new King James or the message or, you know, whatever, when you read it, Holy spirit can teach you cause you're, you're, it, it, you're ingesting, you're ingesting God's word, but right. there's, there's two types of word in scripture. There's the written word and there's right. The, the logos word. and the rhema. And, and yeah. when we're, when we confuse the one for the other, we wind up in some seriously bad places. I had somebody tell me that the Bible is Jesus. We talked about this an episode or two ago, and and that's not. No, Greg, you've been you've been sitting here pretty quiet. What is it that's going through your head? So I've got a couple of things that are sort of in the vein in the in the topic, um, and I always bring it back to modern things because I'm not. Uh, versed enough in, in biblical text to try to do it that way. But you're describing multiple ways of, of interpreting reading, right? Um, and if you are in the Holy Spirit, if you are appropriately reading, the, um, the text that you read will change based on your situation. Um, you look at something like uh, the Constitution, it's um, uh, freedoms for all men, but what is the definition of all men? That takes a, um, an understanding of the Holy Spirit to even get to. The same thing, as we go through the um, interpretation, or I don't exactly know exactly the, the line I want to pull on here is that Jared and I have had many discussions where we believe that throughout all information, not the Bible, all information, God will get his message to you, right? Sort of, God has a way of, you can read a, a, a word from one channel, flip the channel, get a word from another channel, flip the channel, get another word from another channel, and God could have sent you the correct message because he can do that, right? There's no stopping God from getting you the, the, the message if you're willing to listen. Well, it's like that, it's like that story. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like that story from Every Home for Christ where they they wound up in this little village up in the up in the boonies, up in the mountains. And a, a guy who ha had no history, you know, had no contact with the gospel, had met Jesus in a dream and he had written down 
portions of two of the Gospels, word for word, stuff like that, where the Holy Spirit is very much active. And in situations where it isn't available, he'll make it available. He just does. Well, and outside of religion, there's one of our topics, um, uh, bursting of knowledge among the the entire species. Um, Calculus arrived in multiple parts of the world, right, for the uh, human usage um, in a place far enough apart that you couldn't have communicated the knowledge back and forth. I think it was England and Russia that discovered it at the same time. But they weren't in communication and they weren't, they, the, the scientists working on the topic were not working together. That was just revealed to mankind at the time. So I, I do have a very strong, um, I would say, understanding, but belief that uh, it's impossible to stop God's message from coming through, but that um, the Holy Spirit, acceptance of the Holy Spirit will help you interpret everything coming at you because it's just a mess. There's so much. So you need the Holy Spirit to help you interpret the scripture in your hands. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, going back to doing things in your flesh and in, in your own uh, strength. I mean, I see that a lot too. I see, you see people who don't have the Holy Spirit who are interpreting scriptures. And, and a lot of times you get a wrong interpretation um, or you, you just get a really weird interpretation. Um, like cessationism. Like, yeah, yeah. Cessationism. It's, it's almost like watching an like, atheist read the Bible and come up with things where it's like, yeah, you know, that's not, that's not what's intended there. Yeah, no, and that's that's though a good example of doing things in your own strength and and mm-hmm. um, you know not letting the spirit guide you because I don't think like in my experience in my walk like the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you that cessationism is is a thing you're you're getting that from somewhere else um, and, and because he wants to work through you he wants to work through all of us right and and like you said Greg if we're willing to listen if we're willing to and we have this pattern. I mean, we, we see in scripture where, where um, God speaks to people. We see in scripture where I think it was in, in um, 2 Samuel 2, uh, where David says, you know, he talks to the Lord. He just has this conversation. Should yeah. I go up? And he says, yes. And he's, you know, where should I go? And he tells him, he's, and David goes up. And, and it's just very, very simple and very um Plain, but we have this pattern of knowing God speaks and, and understanding God speaks. And yet at some point God stopped speaking that like he gave us his book. And it's, I mean, I, I'm not shy when I say this, like, I think the doctrines that come out that are Bible centric and that God doesn't speak are entirely demonic. Like that is not God. That is it, it, at best. It's your flesh. It's carnal. And at worst, you, you've already got demons in your ear telling you like God doesn't speak to people anymore. And well, you know, it's it's very it's a dangerous place to be because like he Jesus went to the cross to put his spirit back in you and you're now trying to do Christianity without his spirit. Like who would want to be there? <laughs> well and, and what was it we were talking about an episode or two ago, Greg, about idolizing scripture? Yeah. Right, just making an idol of the uh, the physical work. Right, where where you're looking at you're looking at the Bible as being God instead of looking to God. And that's where that ends up a lot of times, right? It's like people wind up looking to the thing they can touch instead of 
the creator of the universe who wants to have a living relationship with you. He's there for you. That that's why he's here. That's the whole reason for all of this. You know, you look at what, what is it that scripture says? It says that, um, in, I can't remember where this is. You probably will in where Paul says that as, as man is the glory of God, woman is the glory of man. The idea here is if man is the glory of God, that means, and he does everything for his glory. That means he's doing all that he's doing for our sakes. It means that everything he's doing is for that relationship with us, everything. And that and and you or me or anybody else saying that he has stopped talking to us is it is demonic it is it's blasphemy essentially yeah and if you look back like if people would read their bibles and see the pattern of god interacting with man um you you touched on it a minute ago where you said like it's that thing that they can touch and feel um when you read scripture, like every time people did that and they made idols, it never ended well. And and so people should should like send up a red flag, like, oh wait, this is probably not good if this is what I'm I'm trusting in. But it's a good, a good way to convince people, because people are idiots, myself included, um, is that God sent his word. It is his word, it is always good, and yet it's in multiple languages and multiple variants and yada 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 yada. Right? So if it transcends language and it transcends the original copy, then it is more about the substance than how it's exactly written, if that makes yeah. sense. And, and, like, and like the law, when they talk about, um, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, mm-hmm. when they talk about that, um, that, that written word, they had something that they could hold that they could refer back to. And it's good and it's, it serves a purpose, but in the end, it still brings death. And because there's no, (laughs) there's no life in, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to what you said a second ago. There's no life in doing something in your own strength, which is, which is what that is. And it's going back to abiding. And so abiding is that continued relationship with God through the Spirit, through communion of the Holy Spirit, which I think is second it's either the end of Second Corinthians or the or first Corinthians, Paul wrote that. Um, and like you need this relationship though. It's a it's a living relationship and it's and it's what Jesus said in, in John where you're connected to the he's the vine. And we're the branches and you yep. have to be, to be connected because uh, you can't do anything on your own. You're not going to produce fruit um, not good for on it. your own. Not good fruit. Yeah. Which is interesting because people are like, oh, well, you know, the fruits of the spirit are the measuring. And I'm like, yes, but no, because can't like a Buddhist monk produce like the fruit of patience or perseverance or something like on their own absent God. Um, there's this no. holistic look at the fruit that, that we're. My answer is no. Yeah. In, in theory, but you know, I've seen people who are super if you, patient. If you read Gandhi's work, he was mad about what he was doing. He was upset about what he was doing. He was not okay. Yeah, oh no, but I mean, you can have the, the monk that's sitting in the thing and you beat him with a two by four and he doesn't move like that. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with Greg here, though, in a sense that there is there is this thing that's given to all of us, all human beings, regardless of whether we believe in Christ, where 
we have some level of contact with God because God is the only thing that's good. So I actually think that saying that those fruits of the spirit don't occur unless God is touching somebody is totally fair. It may not be, it may not be the way we're used to thinking about it, but I actually think it's, it's reasonable to say it. Very odd way of yeah, saying that. Go ahead. And, and I think it was more of a sense in, I think in a one-off, but when you look at a holistic, like all, yeah. what is there, nine, mm-hmm. all nine fruits, like that is, that's the work of the spirit. I think maybe somebody can produce a one-off, but they're not producing all, um, you know, unless you're abiding, but. Well, and, and again, you know, just to say that those other people who are who do not claim Christ can't have some contact with God and so can't get some work of his spirit in them i think is is nonsense you know one of the one example i would bring up in that in that case would just be we see in popular art and popular culture we see these things sometimes where i listen to a song and i'll go God had his hand on this person when they did that. You know what I'm saying? So just to say that they're not claiming Christ doesn't mean that God can't have his hand on them. Yeah. For what it's worth. Hey, can I, can I ask, I saw something you posted on Twitter the other day and I'd love to, I'd love for you to, it's the only point of contention I think I've ever seen in anything you've ever posted. Do you mind if I go there? Sure. Okay, so it was it had to do with modesty. Had to do with modesty. You were saying something remember. You were saying something about us just needing to take responsibility and something about how the the woman who was um caught in sin wasn't wasn't given probably wasn't given time to dress before she was um, pulled in front of Jesus and we just need to take responsibility for our. Let me see if I can find that. So I don't misquote myself. Yeah, sure. And I would, I would like to see that though. Cause I do remember, uh, there it is. Um, so it was a, it was a, a Christian guy who I quote tweeted. Mm-hmm who is in sort of the, we'll say he's just in the reformed, this new Christendom type strain of Christianity. He's, and it was, he was talking about, should pastors call women to modesty, which I think is, is fair. But the, the tone that I had sensed in that was um, that it gets back almost into that legalistic type thing of okay. we're, we're telling people to do it because we haven't fixed our own problems. And I'm, it very much goes back to the, the hypocritical stance right. of this thing is this thing being spoken about is good. Um, but we need to focus on what we've done first. And so I think like, and let me, let me read what I said in response sure. to that. We can talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I said, I'm pretty sure the woman caught in adultery wasn't given time to get dressed when she was paraded through town to Jesus. And at no point did he tell her to dress modestly, nor was he tempted to sin. And somebody called me out on that, um, the the language there, of nor was he tempted to sin. Right, right. Um, because scripture does say he was tempted, but he didn't. Right, he, he didn't was tempted, sin. but he didn't um, sin, right. And then I left it with the question of how about some personal responsibility instead of policing others? So to your point, yes, I do think that there is a time and place for 
guiding people, discipling people. Um, and I think everyone's going to have their own standards, but like if it's affecting you, like you need to deal with the log that's in your eye first before we start telling other people what to do. And what I see in a lot of this, and so there's some, probably some context that got lost in that too. Um, what I see in a lot of this though, is there's a lot of guys online who deal with pornography or deal yeah. with lust. And instead of dealing with that themselves and getting out of that, we tell people dress more modestly. Right. Um, so, so I'm not tempted and I'm like, that's not, that's not leadership in any sense. Like I, I can't ever see Jesus saying you need to dress properly. So I'm not tempted. So, by... so how about this? He's <laughs> reacting against, he's reacting against this, this sort of modern feminist notion that women have no responsibility for how they dress. And it's all on guys to, to not be, you know, sinning, not be thinking things they shouldn't, which I have actually had plenty of Twitter mutuals claim that. And, and I'm like, I don't actually really want to touch this with a 10 foot pole on Twitter because what I'm not, I'm not that great at expressing myself on Twitter. It takes me a little longer to get the thoughts out, but, but so he's reacting against that. And how about this? Can we say that as guys, we absolutely have every responsibility to police ourselves, to, to be following Christ and honoring him with our minds while our sisters have a responsibility not to put stumbling blocks in front of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and okay. I feel like that's, it's, it's all something that should come out of us. Like I shouldn't throw a stumbling block up and it's something that I have to be mindful right. of because there's a lot of topics where I elevate because I see people stuck down making excuses and they said, you know, that's not God's will for us. Like God's will is up here. He wants us to move up to that thing. He's not going to shove you up to that thing. He wants you to, to come up and he's going to, he'll extend a hand and pull you up if you're willing. But you know, it says we're seated in heavenly places. And so a, a theme for me over the past couple of years was getting his perspective on things. And so I have to be careful not to condemn people who are down but also sort of give them that higher perspective, a taste of that higher perspective. Um, Call them on to more. Yeah. Like the marriage is a, is a, is a great one. People can make marriage an idolatry, an idol. Um, People can get condemned if they're divorced. And while I think it's great that, you know, God, I I think God's ideal is one husband and one wife for life, one monogamous couple. But and and people should strive for that, knowing that's God's will. Like it says in First Thessalonians, like His will is our our um, that we flee sexual immorality, right? In our in our sanctification. And um, you know, there's a couple of places actually in the New Testament where He talks about certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, as, you know, as far as His explicit will, and you know, I think through the testimony of Scripture. But there's also grace there for when you don't don't measure up to that because Jesus is our measuring stick and he's fulfilled that for us. Now we don't use that as an excuse to stay down where we are. We should be trying to get up. And so back to the thing of modesty, um, like my heart on that is I want to be in the place. If there's somebody that I know that is hurting, like to be able to go deal with them and not be tripped up by their yeah. lack of attire at the time. And I'm not going to chide them and I'm not going right. to, you know, 
I, I'll cover them up for their own no, sake, I'm not with for you. my sake. I'm, no, I'm with you 100%. I agree. <laughs> and, and, and so that's just trying to like – but it's. I guess that's, a, that's like another topic for another time is elevating the discourse. And that's sort of where I go like with the law stuff. It's like sure. elevating – we're trying to get people up to not down here with the laws well, but up to you know, that's, relationships. That's a great, that's a great place to probably to end is to, is to go into that just a little bit and to touch on it elevating drawing people up so let me let me just provide just a little context here because i want i want to make sure nobody gets lost the idea is um i don't remember (laughs) i'm terrible with chapter and verse you'll probably remember better than me man but there's there's a place where i think it's paul is talking about how those who those who can't eat of a particular type of food because it interferes with, you know, their, it makes them sin if they do that are actually operating out of a a lower level of faith, a weaker level of faith than those who can eat. Right. That's sort of where you're going with this, right. Is, is that for, for those of us who have been, well, it's like we were talking about right back at the beginning with the whole provision thing. Um, for those of us who have been brought through the learning process to where we can trust God to provide for us, we are not to look down on people who haven't gotten there yet. But we also do have to acknowledge that the fact that they haven't gotten there yet means that they've got learning to do means that they've got growing to do that doesn't make them in a better place than us somehow that's false and that's sort of where you were going am i right yeah well and that and that's the thing like i think we're supposed to put stuff on display like it says in psalms it says taste and see that the lord is good and then jesus in the sermon on the mount went on to say, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And yeah, we are, we are the example to others. And it's, we don't live in a condemning way. We live out of where we are and, and our relationship with the Lord and, and really draw other people up. Uh, but it's only, you can only give from the, from the, what you've drank and from the revelation that you had. And so, um, for me, what always struck me was was pastors and and leaders who were authentically living. Like somebody can get up at the pulpit and tell me whatever, and I'm not going to listen to him. But if I have the guy that's out practicing what he preaches on a day to day basis, like his words carry weight with me. Like because I know this guy is sincere, he's genuine, and that's sort of what we need to cultivate in our own mm-hmm. in our own circle. So you start at home, you start with your friends and acquaintances. And they should get to know you and how you, how you live out stuff. And and really, they're going to see it as as time goes by that you're consistent in that, um, that you're sincere in what you believe because you really do live it out. And and I think as we, as we do that faithfully, our our spheres of influence then expand, and and yeah. more people get drawn and more people to disciple. Um, but it it really starts with, with. Um, living from a, from a pure heart and a clean conscience and, and really just maintaining that. 
Absolutely. Well, and, and that really is what draws people in in the first place is, is that that example we set. It's like you were saying what you respect that's what we all respect. That's what people will respect in us is when we live out of what he is doing in us. That's what, that is our witness. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty good place to call it unless there's anything else. Um, how about you tell people where they can find you? You can find me on X, uh, Ryan C. Duff um, is my handle. And that's kind of like my, main home right now um as far as where I, I post most of my content yeah and I, i've sure appreciated it i have to say you when it comes to x i'm kind of quiet a lot of the time i'll post a post or two here and there about things but but it's pretty rare where you're pretty consistent and constantly talking about things and i, I really appreciate your perspective on things which is why i wanted to have you on the podcast and thank you Thank yeah. you for coming on. Thanks, man. Thank, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. It was. I just enjoyed get, it. Just to get it in the session, I would throw out there as the uh, the layman's opinion on modesty. Yeah. You want to find balance. You always want to, you know, be where you're in a, a happy place with it. I don't believe that two wrongs make a right. Like the, the porn watch, watchers don't um, forgive or make anything better among the immodest uh, uh, people. Yeah. But you can go the other direction and kill people for not wearing their sari. Sure. That, that can happen too. Finding the balance from, from the, well, uh, and that's, yeah, that's almost something I wanted to bring up at one point too. Yeah, is go for it. it really in, in everything we, and I, this is like five seconds, but in everything no, we've discussed, good. it's, it's like the extremes and you have one extreme here and one extreme there. And we need to find the middle of that. Cause what is, what did uh, Jesus say? He talked about the Pharisees. He called them blind leaders of the blind and they both fall into the ditch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's this narrow path. And so whether it's modesty, whether it's uh, following the law, whether it's whatever, in, in both extremes, um, and I was even having a discussion with somebody on X yesterday um, on, on the topic of uh, emotional abuse. And like the one extreme is everything's emotional abuse and the other extreme is emotional abuse is false. It doesn't happen. And it's like, well, what is the middle? Because there's people who are traumatized and who have experienced something we need to deal with and they need yep. healing for. And so you can't just outright deny it, but at the same time, everything isn't. So what is this middle? Like, and how do we build these bridges? So that's one thing I've been focused on is really just, so that's good. I, I appreciate you, Greg, for bringing that back up because it was, it's so good to, to find the middle ground in a lot of these topics. It's the extremes is where things Could I? really could I finish on another note real quick here? What you're talking about. This was, is where we end up saying, all right, we're cutting it here because we're going into another. No, 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 no. I've got to, I've got to finish this. This, this is speaking directly to what Ryan just said. We've got to finish it. Okay. So you're talking about the middle ground. I would say from my experience, what I sort of, what I sort of see is that if we're, if we have our eyes on him, it isn't like we're trying to find a middle ground. Instead, we're walking that middle ground just by following his lead. It's like if we have the right perspective, we don't have to try to avoid this or try to avoid that. Instead, we're just walking a straight path toward where we need to go. So to our listeners, I would say, if you find yourself trying to avoid extremes, it probably means that you're, you need a perspective shift. You need to start looking at things from a bit of a different angle and following him 
to where we need to go. And that's actually a great way to wrap this whole thing together because the subject of this whole conversation has sort of been following the lead of the spirit. So thank you guys. Thank you, Ryan, for being yeah. here, Greg. And to all our listeners, we'll catch you next time.